All right, here we go. My name's Todd. This is Kathy. Welcome back to Zen Parenting Radio. This is a podcast. Why listen to podcasts, Zen Parenting Radio? Because you'll feel outstanding. And who doesn't want to feel outstanding? And how come we're playing uh, Sia, sweetie? Because we just went to we just went to Sia, Sia. We just went to Sia, Sia. Um, but before we, we're gonna give our two cents on the concert. I didn't. I don't really know who. I didn't really know who she was that well. That's crazy compared to, me. to you, but that's all right. Um, but why listen to Zen Parenting Radio? Because you'll feel outstanding. And always remember our motto, which is the best predictor of a child's well-being is a parent's self-understanding. This is podcast number three hundred and thirty-five. I'm certain <gasps> you're certain of it. I dig it. Um, and on today's show, we're going to talk about Sia. We're going to talk about unconscious bias and triggers. And uh, obviously, we're going to give an update on the conference. But first and foremost, we're going to talk about the SIA concert. Correct. So SIA is some lady who... Okay, do, it, can I do this? No, no, I got it. No, I'm just okay. kidding. Who's SIA? SIA is an artist, and she's a... Who's a lady. <laughs> <laughs> she's some lady. She's a singer-songwriter, and she's also a performing artist, a performance artist, and I like to say artist because every song has a significant amount of emotion and every performance is not so much of your traditional performance. It's an art performance. And I have been fascinated by her and very inspired by her. She's one of my role models, which sounds funny because I'm not a performance artist, meaning I'm not a singer. You can get role models from anywhere. But her whole... Um, the way that she handles her career, her choices, and her um, her ability to say, this is who I am, um, not in a commercial way. See, a lot of people say, this is who I am, but there's this whole marketing thing around it. Yeah, she kind machine. Of, she went the opposite way and was like, this is really who I am. Give me an am. example of how she didn't subscribe to the traditional marketing. Well, here I go. Set that over there. Um, she... Basically, she was to in a nutshell. She had she had music. She has albums. She had albums. She was fairly famous. Yeah. But once she started getting famous in the states, she got where's she from? Uh, Australia. Oh, really? Once she started becoming famous in the states, it became a machine, and mm-hmm. she got lost in the machine. And she started, as people do who get lost, uh, started numbing out. She started uh, drinking too much, and had um, a lot of issues with drinking. She doesn't drink anymore. Um, and she is also, as I would describe, an empath. So she feels the world a little heavier than your average bird, yeah. which I can relate to. And so what she did is she just stopped performing and she decided just to write songs for other people because she it. had a she had a good name in the industry. So she wrote songs for Adele. She wrote songs for Rihanna. She wrote songs for everybody. But then as she was, I think what ended up getting her back into the groove was uh, – titanium because she said that she would sing the lead part on titanium she would she would be the artist who sang it yeah and so it brought her back into mainstream and then she said you know i will do an album and then this is the key this is what you're looking for i will do an album but i will not tour and i will not show my face right and they still said okay because she's so good that's how good she is um so i didn't know what to expect and um the audience was mostly female and, and gay men gay men mm-hmm. so i was certainly a minority and um you know the show is just you know walking through the crowd you could see that you know it was at the united center which mm-hmm. is where the bulls and the blackhawks play mm-hmm. and when you're walking through those hallways you're used to seeing a certain clientele mm-hmm. and this was the opposite so it's kind of neat but she gets up there and I didn't know anything. And she simply stands in the corner mm-hmm. and you didn't say anything about how she dresses or what she looks like. Well, most people who know Sia know well, what she Well, there's some wears. men on here okay. that straight men who probably don't know her as well, well as some other people. Okay. So, but I'm sure some straight men Of course they too. do. Right. But on the majority, they do not. So she wears a wig and it's got very long bangs. So it covers her face. So you can only see her lips and it's half black, half blonde or white. And then she um, has, she didn't always do this, but now she wears a big bow on top of it. Right. And um, so she just sits there in the corner. And then this little girl, this 14 year old girl whose name is Maddie, I guess. Maddie Ziegler. Yeah. And she dances. Yeah. So Sia doesn't move at all. She's like a statue. Mm -hmm. She sings. She sings, right. Her lips move, Mm -hmm. maybe her throat, but Mm -hmm. that's about it. Mm -hmm. And then Maddie just goes crazy dancing like, Mm -hmm. I don't even know. It's just a, a, an interesting dance. And she's obviously amazingly talented, but it's not, you know, traditionally choreographed. 
Is not traditionally choreographed. Very true. Right. She is. Uh, those of you know Maddie Ziegler from Dance Moms. You either watch or your children watch. She's very well known. Um, but isn't that, Dance Moms that show where the moms are a little nutty? Yeah, I yeah. was going to say nuts, but usually get mad at me when I call parents nuts. Well, I said nutty. That kind of care. That's not as bad as nuts. Oh, okay. Don't you think nutty is kind of like they get really nutty's a little softer, softer, and because it's usually uh, the moms that are living through their kids and Correct. all that stuff. Well, and it's also about the dance studio, Abby Lee Miller's dance studio, and she's a little nutty. Um, she's very hard on the girls. She's very demanding, but. If you've watched from season one on, Maddie is always her favorite. Maddie's... Is she still on the show? No. Oh. She has a talent that's like... You know, there's some people who can dance, and then there's some people who are dance. Like, they don't really need to work that hard because they just are. Billy Elliot. Correct. Just uh, They just are. And that's who Maddie is. And she always has been. So Abby always catered to her, mm-hmm. or most of the time. A few yeah. times she got in trouble. Anyway... So she, Sia tapped her a long time ago to do a video, and then that video, Chandelier, became so big that Maddie started performing for her on all the shows and on the Grammys, and then some other people started dancing, too. It's a little fuzzy, but that's all right. Yeah. Yes. And then some other people performed for Sia. Um, Lena Dunham performed for her, kind of Maddie style. Um, Kristen Wiig performed for her on the Grammys. Um, in the concert that we saw last night, Paul Dano is part of the um, the performance. Um, and so, you know, it's it's kind of taken on. It's, it's very unique. Very unique. So the only thing I want to say about it is that it is it was so different than what I'm used to. Like I think of myself as this modern man who can, you know, deal, not deal, but appreciate other things. But it's funny, my buddy Angel once took me to the Museum of Modern Art, which Mm -hmm. is really kind of not a place that I would, I've never been there before. Correct. And um, I was completely out of my element last night. And the only reason I say that to our audience is that it's good to be pushed out of your element every now and again to expand your world. And, you know, there, I'd be lying if I didn't say there was a caveman part of me that said, oh, I wish I was watching the Cubs game at the bar or whatever. Right. But at the same time, it was really kind of cool to get pushed out of my comfort zone. So I just wanted to use my experience to maybe empower some of the listeners that if they don't want to do something because it's not what they traditionally like to do, do it anyways. Well, and also it's important to me because she is very important to me. Like her music is important to me. It helps me identify myself. I relate to her, connect with her. And so you know me better by seeing that because that, everything, maybe not better, but you understand a part of how I think because yeah. what she's doing visually is how I think. Yeah. And um, the that isn't always portrayed for people. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's a kind of, it's it, that's why I like musicals and that's why I like movement with song. Everything to me is visual, you know? Right. So it was more of an artistic experience. It was. Wasn't it? It and, was wonderful. And we did watch the Cubs at and the And we watched the Cubs for the first hour and a half. Yeah. And then they lost. Mm. So our first partner is Tree of Life Chiropractic Care. Dr. Kelly takes care of me and my whole family. Uh, the website is chirotree.com. The number is 630-941-8733. If you live in the Chicagoland area, we encourage you to check out chirotree.com. Thank you, Dr. Kelly, for all your support and partnerships and all that. So um, should we do a quick thing about the conference? So how about this? Yeah, we'll just kind of sum it up. Right now, uh, you know, we're talking about our Zen Parenting Let's Get Real conference. It's February 24th or 25th. Right now, here's where we're focusing our attention. If you have a group, which means three or more, like, you know, you can get two friends to go with you or you can get maybe four people, you know, two couples or whatever, email us at commonsenseandparentingradio.com and we will give you a group rate. Um, If you just want to go by yourself and do it on your own, go ahead. But if you can bring in some people, please email us and we will give you a group rate. So um, in appreciation for coming together. Um, We also have uh, the opportunity for you to be a Zen friend, which means if you know you can't come to the conference, but you want to support our conference and making sure people get scholarships to come, we've already gotten so many emails from people who cannot afford to go. And some of them we've already helped, but some, you know, we're really trying to make that accessible to people. Um, So help us do that. And uh, we haven't gotten any 
um, News and Friends this week. News and Friends Mm-mm. this week. So, and then the last thing is, is I'm doing a pre-conference workshop called um, Feminine Power or Self Awareness and Feminine Power, and it's over half full already. Mm-hmm. So if you plan on going, um, register because right. it's going to be good. You're going to feel it's a really great way to kick off the weekend. You are going to feel open hearted and and you know, full and ready to take in all the goodness that our speakers are going to bring you. That's right. So, Can I talk about a sponsorship real quick? Sure, please. Um, we, as one of the benefits of sponsoring the conference, if you have a business that you think is in alignment with our message, um, we like to talk about our sponsors for the conference. So this week I'm focusing on comprehensive clinical services. That's mm. Dr. Dan Martinez. My good friend, our good friend. Our good friend. He's, He's actually been on man. the podcast before. We had a conversation with him talking about ADHD and ADD, and that's uh, podcast number 281. And funny, this just a little side note. Dr. Martinez, like Todd said, he's a friend of ours. His daughter is a good friend of our daughter's. He and I just figured out that we used to work together at Children's Memorial. Yeah. Like it took us a little bit. We're like, oh my gosh, we were working together. But anyway. It's a small world it after is. all. Yes. So um, so what Dr. Dan Martinez's uh, business does, um, psycho... Psychotherapy. Therapy, thank mm-hmm. you. Uh, they, he, they treat children, adolescents, as well as adults, childhood disorders, anxiety, and addictions. So he's got a whole team. He's got a whole plenty of t- plenty of people at his disposal, and it's a really good podcast if you want to listen to it. Uh, number two hundred eighty-one. So that's the deal. What's his website again? Give it again. Oh, thank you. Discoverccs.org. Discoverccs.org. So if you have a business and you want to partner up with us for the conference, I would love to hear from you. Comments at zenparentingradio.com. So. Triggers and unconscious bias. Why don't you start? Okay, so I wanted to talk about unconscious bias because this weekend, this past weekend, I did one of my absolute favorite things of the year, which is go to the Emerging Women Conference. Um, I this is my fourth year. Um, I it's one of the best um, put together conferences that I've ever been to. Partially because it's just well done, but the other part is because it's it is so connected to what is important to me. The speakers who come in, the um, information that they share, the fact that the focus is women, um, it's just uh, very uh, grounding for me to be there. I, I'm always inspired when I leave. But one of the things that one of the speakers talked about, her name um, is Kristen Pressner. She actually has a TED talk about gender bias. She is the global human resources director. Um, for Roche Industries, okay? okay? So I'm telling you that because that's an important part of what she taught. She is in charge. She's a human resources director globally, mm-hmm. okay? And she's a woman. And she got on stage and said, I have an unconscious bias against women. Right. So just starting that way. So for those of you who are like, oh, I have no bias. I don't see race. I if don't she see, does, most of us do. We all do. But here's the key, you guys. It's not about shaming or feeling bad about yourself. What she was able to describe for all of us was that a bias, an unconscious bias, is really based on the fact that our brain takes shortcuts. Yeah. Okay? Because our brain takes in so much information during the day and so much information throughout our life, right? We're just constantly bombarded with images, sounds, you know, technology, bombarded. Yeah. So our brain to figure out how to do things. It's trying to make sense. It's trying to make sense. And it has to take shortcuts yeah. or else we would be constantly, we'd be like, how do I open that door? Right. You know, we have to have, our brain is very functional in that way that it can cut through all the clutter and get to how do I do this? Right. Well, that serves us well when we're trying to open a door. Yes. It doesn't serve us well when we are, let's just focus on gender. Yes. When we are deciding who to hire in a leadership position. Right. Because our shortcuts are based on what we see and experience in the world. Mm -hmm. So what do we see and experience in the world? Um, Who are the leaders? The men. The men. Yeah. So our brain naturally looks at men as being the right CEO choice, as being the right presidential choice as being the right person to lead a team. It's it, it's a it's a little it's again, it's unconscious. It's a function of the brain. It's a function of the brain. So for those of you who want to beat yourself up, don't just become conscious of it. Like she did this great thing where she put these two pictures up because what are men and again, this is research-wise traditionally known for. They're known for leadership, there's no they're known for being providers, they're known for being strong. Mm-hmm. Okay, we'll just use those three words. When you and then she showed a picture of a woman, they're traditionally known for nurturing, nurturing, caretaking, yeah. and, you know, 
managing, like more like project management. Multitasking. Multitasking. That's the right way to say it. So then she took the two pictures and switched them, but left the words there. And the audience laughed. And this is, I'm at Emerging Women. Yeah. I'm with the women what leaders. What do you mean she switched them? So she took those words. Okay, I'm sorry. I didn't give you a good image. So she had two pictures up there, a man yeah. with the words yeah. and provider, she put the words leader. underneath the man under the woman and the woman exactly. under the man. And we laugh, not because we don't think those things are true, but it doesn't fit our brain. Right. We don't look at a picture of a woman and think provider, leader. Yeah. Blah, and we don't look at a picture of a man and think caretaker, you right. know, emotional center. And it just reminds you, not that you're a bad person, but the unconscious bias that yeah. we all carry. And so, you know, what do we do? How do we, you know, how do we handle it? We recognize it and quit fighting. First step is awareness. Awareness, consciousness, yeah. you know, feeling it. Because one of the things she said, and I liked this as an example, she said, again, director of human resources, she was like, I, you know, a man will come to me and say, will you check out my package and figure it? That sounded bad. Yes. Check out my package. What I mean by that is my like, um, you know, human resources package, yeah. you know, like how her, how he's being paid, how he's being compensated, all that kind of stuff. So she's, you know, he'll say, can you check that out? I'm thinking there's percentages wrong or whatever. And she's like, sure, I will absolutely do that. She says, a woman will come to me and said, can you check out my human resources package? Can you make sure that my insurance is correct or everything? And she says that she, the first thing she'll think is, yeah, I think it's okay. Mm. I think you're all right. Mm -hmm. And she found that in herself. And what she realized is that the unconscious bias that was leading the way was that the men are the providers and so they're the ones who are actually bringing home the money for the family. Right. And that the woman who is working, who wants everything worked out, uh, it's that's just, it's not the same thing for her. She's not the provider of the family. Now, here's the irony. This is the, this is the big thing. This woman, Kristen Pressner, who gave the talk, is the sole provider, provider. of her family. Her husband's a stay-at-home dad. Stay-at-home dad. And she is in so this- So she lives this, she lives it. she still can't- adjust her brain to recognize the bias. The shortcuts take over unless we become conscious of the shortcuts. Well, um, real quick, there was a time, you're much better at this, but when you first started speaking, you sometimes struggled asking for what you were worth. Safe to oh, say. I, I still struggle with still it. Still struggle with yeah. it. But one of your friends, Jess, mm -hmm. said, well, Kathy, what if Todd didn't work and you were a single mom? That's right. And that kind of helped you flip yep. that switch. Yeah. Right? That's right, because why are we being compensated based on our situation? Yeah. That really, so that, even though I understand how people, that bias can creep in too, like, well, you don't really need it. Mm -hmm. Is that really how we're basing things? Because I know billionaires who want to be double billionaires, yeah. and they obviously don't need it, right. but they feel deserving of their compens compensation. So, and that's the thing is women don't have... Can I go back in history a little bit, sure. just a teeny bit? Women don't have that messaging early on. Yeah. Men have that messaging given to them. Yeah. They are told to be more, and when I'm using this oh, language, self-serving. The minute that we're, you know, the minute that we have a memory, we are reinforced through society, through uncles, through dads, through moms, whatever. Your job is to be independent so you can take care of your family. And go out there and get it. Mm -hmm. Go out there and grab it's it. It's yours. It's yours. And on top of that, you men, this is, again, uh, research, statistically speaking, this was part of another woman's uh, in, um, talk this weekend. She talked about how male leaders take ownership for everything. Mm -hmm. So like the Steve Jobs, we'll use him as a kind of an analogy, yeah. a metaphor. He'll go on stage and say, look what I've done. Yeah. A woman CEO will go on stage and say, look what the team and the company did. Yeah. And there is, that is just in a nutshell, gives you the kind of messaging that girls and boys are given. Because boys, it's, this is mine. I'm going to take it. I deserve this. Girls, it's, how can I help you? How are we working as a team? And again, I'm speaking in general, being general, because there are plenty of men who give ownership and plenty of women who, who can take on that more like, um, identity of I did this, but typically speaking, research-wise, that's how it plays out. Well, I'll give you two examples. Um, 
in the next few weeks, we're going to put up a, an interview with a guy named Doug McConnell and his wife, Susan. Susan. Mm -hmm. And he is a marathon swimmer and he tells a story and he's done some incredible things with his life. Yes. And almost without exception, whenever he talked about his accomplishments, he always used the we or my team. Yes. And the reason I think you and I kind of fell in love with him the way we did is because he was always talking about the team versus the individual. Correct. And the reason we took such uh, gratitude or you know soft, loving feelings towards that message is because we don't hear it very we often don't hear men from do a that man. Very much. So that was one thing. And then the other thing is we used to make observations of when we our daughter used to play soccer. She doesn't anymore. But when we would see the boys score a goal, they would kick the ball in the net and they would kind of hold their hands high up in the air, proud, look away from everybody, look, look at, at me. me. They would kind of show their gold mm -hmm, or whatever. Mm -hmm. So, But when a girl did, they would run, she would run to her teammates yep, and give them a hug. And give them a hug. Yep, yep. And that's just another example of about the difference between the masculine, and the feminine, the male, the female, whatever. And, you know, we're speaking in generalizations, but when uh, in the hyper masculine, they just wanted, take all the credit Correct. for themselves. It's an unhealthy thing. And then the women try to deflect any credit right. from themselves. Well, and there's a healthy place in the middle. And that's the thing is one of the, um, another statistic, some research for you guys, is that CEOs, female CEOs, tend to have better retention, tend to have better like reviews for how everybody gets along in the company, tend to have a better bottom line and this is because a lot of female CEOs have figured out that middle place yeah. of leadership, owning themselves, speaking up for what they need, but also caring for the entire community. Yeah. Like caring for the community, caring for your business and people who work for you, under you, around you is not a weakness we're not, you know, the the feeling of CEOs that are more cutthroat, like you better do this for us or we're going to screw you or, you know, everything is a backhanded deal. That can only last so long. Well, what's funny is, you know, Oprah uh, just interviewed that guy. Who's that last guy? That, uh, Jeff Weiner, yes. LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. And it's funny. He embraces what you're talking yes. about is that in between, that balance between the two. So this is not a beat up session on guys no. or, or a holding women in such high regard because there's exceptions in both ways. But that's why the LinkedIn guy is as successful as he is, is because he he does not make himself small yet at the same time. He's found his yin yang, like yes. he can do both. Yeah. He, and, you know, so what coming back to a parenting perspective on this, like how does this relate to us people who are not CEOs and things like that? Like how can, you know, you want to talk about this and I think it's important, but mm -hmm. how, do, how does the listener use this in an effort in her day-to-day -day or his day-to-day -day life? So I would say to be conscious of how we are talking to our kids and how we are raising our girls and our boys. And one example that I will give you um, that I thought was very interesting, and this example was offered by uh, Reshma Sanjani, who is the woman who came up with Girls Who Code. Okay. Some of you will know Girls Who Code. It's just this you know, big movement to get more girls involved code. in coding, but in just in computer science yeah. overall. But one of the um, examples she gave was that um, they did this test, this research test where they, this group of people made this lemonade and instead of putting sugar in it, they put salt in it, but it looked like lemonade. Mm -hmm. And then they fed it to a group of girls and they fed it to a group of boys. And when the boys drank it, they spit it out, said, that is disgusting. What is that? Gross. Mm -hmm. And when the girls drank it, and again, I'm general, like I'm sure there was a girl or two who spit it out, but generally the research showed when girls drank it, they swallowed it mm -hmm. and they said, oh yeah, it's fine. Mm -hmm. And they didn't make any comment Don't about it. Don't make waves. Be kind. Don't make waves. Don't cause a problem. Don't make anyone not like you. And boys are like spitting it out, saying, what the hell is this? That that teaches us so much about what we're talking to girls about because that is not – even though there's some innate tendencies maybe like we've talked about, you know, women may have more innate nurturing tendencies or men may have – you know, we have this biological history, right? So we can't deny this the, our genetic makeup and our history and societal factors. But at the same time, girls and boys – who are three, four, five, have the same desire for leadership yeah. and have the same desire to speak their mind. We see things start to change as they start to get more into abstract thinking. 
especially middle school, we start to see girls stop raising their hand. We start to see girls worry more about their appearance rather than what they're feeling internally. And we see boys try to do their own kind of um, posturing. One thing I was going to say is this is an extreme example, but in uh, Queen Bees and Wannabes, I think it's by Rosalind Wiseman. Rosalind's actually going to be at her conference in 2017. And I remember this is either in the book that she wrote about girls or the book that she wrote about boys. But there was an example of this girl who at lunch, because Rosalind, she just sits there and observes. Mm -hmm. And the girl couldn't open up her yogurt cup. Do you mm-hmm. remember this story? I do, I do. And obviously she can open up her yogurt cup. Right. It was just, she felt more comfortable be more comfortable being weak. Yes. Because she felt like that is who she was supposed to be. Yes. And it's such a uh, disempowering thing that these girls are taught and somehow they they start integrating this into who they are. Yes. And it's just very sad. Because they see it role modeled yeah. and they hear it. If they don't hear it in literal messages, they see it and they feel it energetically. One thing that my girlfriend uh, who I was with at the conference um, this weekend, she and I were having this conversation about how when we were younger, there was this kind of unspoken message, it, maybe it was more literal, of to not bruise a guy's ego, mm-hmm. to not... May, and I I still think this messaging is part of, if you want to get married, here's what you need to do. Yeah. Don't bruise a guy's ego. Make him believe he knows more than you. Um, don't ever, you know, if he's talking, don't interrupt him. Laugh at his jokes, even if they're not funny. And that's one of my favorite Amy Poehler quotes is, if a guy tells a joke and it's not funny, don't laugh. Yeah. And that is kind of a taking your power back. It's not about- See, that benefit. doesn't mean much to me, but you guys have been taught that forever, right? Oh my God, yes. And even if no one said- laugh at the joke, you watched other women placate themselves, like pretend to be something to make the man feel okay about who he was. Because the man's more important from the collective unconscious. The irony is there is a belief that your ego is more fragile, Mm -hmm. that if we somehow stand up for ourselves, that you won't be able to tolerate it and you won't love us anymore. Yeah. And in, even though that may sound super funny to some people, people have experienced that. Yeah. There have been men, you know, and I know these women, they're people that I work with, who say things like, you know, I don't want to, you're too strong for me, you're too dramatic for me, you talk too much, you ask too much. You, and basically what they're saying is just sit there and make me feel good. Right. Like, you know, it's not a give and take. Yeah. And again, I, I keep do, putting out these disclaimers. This is not all men. This is about patterning. This is about can we see the pattern in our society? There are plenty of men who want to date strong women or marry strong women. And they I did. Want, <laughs> thank you. And they want a voice. They want a partner. Yeah. I don't want somebody lower than me or higher than me. I want right. somebody who's on the same plane as I am, same page. The language that was used this weekend at Emerging Women was, it's time for the partnership of equals. Yeah. Because we already are by nature. What's Gary Zukov's definition of a relationship? Spiritual partnership? Yeah. Is, is that it? He's, Where each of us, our goal is the, um, I'm not going to say it exactly the way Gary Zukov do, does, but is help each other reach our highest sense of being, Yeah, is not to be... Um, upset about it or try and hold each other down or hold each other back, but help each other reach that place. Right. And it's not even a place you reach. It's a an experience of life. Right. And I will be honest that um, there have been times when my ego, you know, just to kind of give the other side with this line of work and Todd and I working together, my ego gets bruised. And I've had to share that with Todd a lot. So it's not always you. Right. You know, and I've it's kind of a yucky, shadowy thing. But once I say it out loud... I realize it's not really who I am. It's it's old stuff, but Todd is very gracious and listening and not throwing it back in my face later. You know, it's just a kind of, Todd, I'm having this feeling of I'm not being seen or I'm feeling like you're getting too much credit or, and we have these conversations because it helps us in our partnership because I have those voices of- The little girl inside I, of the you. The little girl and that I'm second to you. Yeah. And the truth is this business is- is my when I say my business, it's ours. But this work started with my work. Yeah. And so that doesn't mean I should be above you. Sweetie, you're the CEO. I am the CEO, but I also don't need you to be below me. Right. That's the thing is there's a partnership of equals because Todd brings something I don't have and I bring something Todd doesn't have. And together it's balance. So 
Gary Zukov says a spiritual partnership is a partnership between equals for the purpose of spiritual growth. Spiritual partners use their delightful experiences together as well as their power struggles to learn about themselves and change themselves. And what's so important about that is you heard him say, and their power struggles. Mm -hmm. You power struggle and I power struggle. The struggle does not define us. The struggle helps us stay in balance. So when Todd and I talk about the many meltdowns that I have or he has or when we disconnect and have to reconnect, a lot of people will perceive that in their own relationship as what's wrong with us, something's wrong with us. The discussion and the argument is what keeps you in balance. You don't go through life with this like static way of being. Yeah. You have times where you feel out of balance and you say, okay, wait a second, we got to have this conversation. So the power struggles are a part of the balance. What else do you got before um, I go on to my thing? You know, I think I feel... Um, I feel okay, but one, I, I will say one more thing because I had tears about it. Um, at the last debate, there was a moment when one candidate said to the other, and that's why you should be in jail. Mm-hmm. And I was watching with one of my daughters and I actually started to cry and it wasn't like cry like, oh, he got a zinger in there. It wasn't cry like, oh no, this is going to go bad. It was a historical cry for humiliation. Mm. And I think I'm going to speak as like female humiliation Mm -hmm. of get in your place, Mm -hmm. stay down, stop speaking up. I control you. I have power over you and I will literally put you in jail. Mm -hmm. And I, I, my head's tingling right now because it was so, it was such a visceral reaction. I didn't cry any other time during the debate. And I don't even think JC knew that I was crying, but it hurt me so deeply. And I want us to understand, I wanted to throw that out because it's something that I wrote down when uh, Kristen Pressner was talking about how I was able to re-relate that experience and understand how these unconscious bias or these things that we don't allow someone to be in a leadership role or what we think is more powerful or stronger or better and how there's this right now we're at a really big change in the world. So um, for the Eckhart people out there, would you say that he activated your pain body? Absolutely. Yeah. He abs- he activated a deep thing in uh, a pain body. I'll just use your language. My pain body. What that, is a pain body? Can you describe it? The pain it? body is the place, in, and again, you can think about it like the way we do chakras. It's not like something you're going to find on an MRI, mm-hmm. but it's the energetic centers of us. Um, it's a piece of us that contains all of our trauma, all of our history, all of the things that maybe we haven't released, emotional experiences, and it's what it is what often keeps us stuck, but often can help us relate to others. Um, but it is our triggering mechanism. See, what's interesting is the way you defined it is the way I defined shadow, mm. right? It's very similar because I remember Eckhart uses the term pain body in a new in the book A New Earth, but I've been using the word shadow, but it's it seems thing. like it's the same thing. Mm-hmm. And the relationship between um, a shadow and uh, a wound, we in our men's work, we talk a lot about, you know, you get wounded as a young boy or as a young girl, it doesn't matter. And what you do is you try to compensate for that wound by either repressing or in or inflating some other part of you Correct. through your shadow Correct. so it's anyways and you know the way that debbie ford who who wrote the shadow effect and who was talking about shadow way before way before anyone else was bringing it mainstream and she has since passed away but she talked about it's kind of like trying to put your body over the top of a beach ball in water mm-hmm. you're you're covering it with your body but what's going to happen to that beach ball it's going to you know, it's going to slip out from under you when you lose your balance. Well, and what this is, we talk about this a lot in, in the men's work that I do, is you want to keep your shadow in front of you. Correct. And this is exactly what we're talking about, is the unconscious bias. Yes. If you have an awareness of it, yes. it is in front of you and you can address it and deal with it and navigate through it and know what work you have to do. But most of the time or some of the time, the shadow is either on our back or behind us and we can't see it. Correct. And it becomes who we are. We are unwilling to see it, and therefore it 
ends up making our choices for us. Right. We are unwilling because when Todd says keep it in front of you, the whole the key is is recognize you have it and then make a conscious choice with it in the room. Yeah. Like, you know, one thing Liz Gilbert always talks about in her books is, you know, allow fear and unconscious bias and and issues and ignorance to come along for the ride. Yeah. You don't have to deny those. Well the parts minute of that you. you deny it, you give it you energy. Rep- and you repress it and it be what you repress or what you resist Re- persists. Right. And we all know this image you know, this imagery and this language, but um, I think that's good because I know you wanted to talk about something, so I'll stop. Um, so our second partner is John J. Kelly Dentistry. He treats our family um, twice a year and then for the cleanings, but also he helps our daughters with their smile design, which is relates to their airway and things like that. So if you're a listener and you live in the Chicagoland area, I encourage you to check out John J. Kelly Dentistry and his website is chicagodentistonline.com. And I forgot to tell you, I did uh, some movie quotes and I want to know if you know what this movie, what quote this movie is from. Mm. I have a few queued up. Okay, cool. What are you doing? No, no, get off. Get off. See, you got to make my bunk. See, we're in Italy. The guy on the top bunk has got to make the guy on the bottom bunk. He's got to make his bed all the time. See, it's in the regulations. See, we were in Germany. I would have to make yours. But we're in Italy, so you got to make mine. It's regulations. It's regulations. I know it. What is it? Stripes. Do you know how I got it? Because this morning when we were walking Skylar to school, you tripped on the sidewalk uh-huh. block. Uh-huh. And I thought in my head, this is how my brain works. Because there's a line in Stripes where John Larroquette trips and he says, have that removed. Uh-huh. To his- <laughs> So it may get me thinking about stripes. Oh, that's funny. Sergeant, I think it's a bad idea to march today. You know, this is the cold and blue season. <laughs> We've been seeing a lot of Bill Murray at the Cubs games. Yes. Okay, that's really very good. I'd like to try it just one more time, and then we'll call it a day. I made her on a Monday, <laughs> and my heart stood still. We even did the, you guys couldn't see us, but we actually did the actions with our arms. <laughs> Uh, my hobbies are fast cars and fast women. Because uh, that's why my guys in my car club call me the cruiser. You should call them the dork. <laughs> Knock it off. It's so mean. It is, and I shouldn't even laugh because he's made. But it's a movie. We so. got to give ourselves permission to laugh at I unkind know. things. I know. Well, you know. You know. What? Lighten up, Francis. Yeah, lighten, lighten up, Francis. Francis. Todd says that to me all the time. Here's the thing. Permission to laugh at unkind things. This is, it, I won't take this too far because it could go in many ways, but this is the whole PC debate. Yeah. Here's the thing. What's nice about movies and music and things that are for entertainment value is it allows us to release those feelings of I need to laugh at this. If we were in a room, go ahead. But if there was someone across from me and they were speaking their mind, I would never make them feel uncomfortable because that is not decent. Right. That is not common decency. So as human beings, do we have permission to laugh at a movie that we never in the world would laugh if it happened in a room? Yes, Yes, because it's a natural instinctual reaction. Yeah, because there's some stuff that's funny. As long as it's fake pretend movies, no problem. That is what it means to have your shadow in front of you is when you know you're watching a movie, this is entertainment, nobody is being hurt. And again, someone could come in and say, well, the movie Mm. perpetuates the stereotypes. I get it. I, Mm. I see the big picture. I really do. But let's go back to Todd and I saw Stripes when we were like in sixth grade. So we have... I think it was younger than that. Really? I think it was like 1980 or something like that. Well, I know it was my dad's like absolute favorite movie and I couldn't watch it until it came on the movie channel and I probably shouldn't have even watched it. Though. No, a lot of some nudity, a lot of swearing. Yeah. Aren't you going too fast? Oh, it's not the speed really so much. Uh, I just wish I hadn't drunk all that cough syrup this oh morning, you know? <laughs> no, that's but what part that's from? I don't. Oh, it's in the it, cab. I was going to say it's at the beginning before yeah. they go away to... Okay, last Stripes quote. Okay. An army without leaders is like a foot without a big toe. <laughs> and so- <laughs> All right, enough of that. All right, so I, I want to talk about triggers, which kind of falls into uh, the commentary that we've been sharing for the first half hour of this podcast. So, um, sweetie. Yes. What... Because I, this is kind of like my own therapy. So okay. you're going to be my my therapist. Oh boy! And I'm going to kind of tell you what I think a trigger is. But what is a trigger? How would you define it? It's uh, something that we see, hear, experience that provokes or exacerbates or stirs up a part of ourselves that is either in pain or 
we had a trauma or um, a historical experience, even if we've worked through it and, and, you know, I don't usually use the word healed anymore, but we've dealt with it. Sometimes um, having seeing a similar thing Mm -hmm. or hearing a similar thing can trigger that feeling in us and provoke us to have the same emotional experience we did when we experienced it the first time. I think everything you said is absolutely correct. Um, But tell me if you think this is also right. I think it's when there's a stimulus and there's an overreaction to something. Like if something were to happen to you as a 44-year-old person and it would... it would be bothersome, but it bothers you even more than just the uh, behavior in a in a vacuum. Yes, Do you know what I mean. There is truth in that. The only thing that I would want to be careful of is when you say there's an overreaction. It makes it sound like the person who is overreacting is doing something wrong, right? And they are not even fully conscious of what's happening because their body has a memory. Mm-hmm. And I'm saying their body; it could be their mind too, but the the body carries a lot of these memories, right? And so their overreaction is not them being incapable or unable of handling things. Right. It's that they yeah, have a trauma. Yeah, overreaction is probably the wrong word. But if right. it happened to somebody else, then it may, they may not absolutely. have the same reaction. For example, if some let me get really, you know, into it here. If someone has been sexually abused or raped, them watching a scene of someone being sexually assaulted is going to trigger them in a way that may not trigger someone who hasn't been sexually assaulted or, or raped. To, or to give it even a lighter example, if you're driving down a two-lane highway uh-huh. and that and and I happen to have survived this horrific car accident, Correct. and the car kind of the the up, upcoming car just kind of inches over inches over mm-hmm. just for a second, and I freak out. Versus if I'd never had any car accident. Your body has no muscle no memory of that. It's no big deal. Yeah, so you wouldn't experience. It's why, you know, Todd, it goes back to that beginning thing that that you and I figured out early in our marriage is just because something doesn't bother you yeah. doesn't mean it shouldn't bother me because we have different life experiences. Right. Not just the real basic, you know, what our jobs are, where we grew up, but our genders are different. Mm-hmm. Um, my experiences with, you know, whatever my traumas were versus your traumas are different. So we can can't look at the world and say that doesn't bother me so it shouldn't bother you. So I kind of I think you're right. I think overreaction is the wrong word to mm-hmm. use and I would love to come up with a different a heightened reaction. A heightened reaction. Mm-hmm. That's better. Thank you. Mm-hmm. So and then my other question I asked you this last week so I need you to help me again. Does every trigger go back to some form of childhood experience? Um not always. Uh it depends on it depends on what you're talking about because if somebody – say I had gone through my life and had had not had negative experiences uh, with the opposite sex. Yeah. And then when I was in my 20s, I was – which I was. I was in an abusive relationship or had a negative experience or was sexually assaulted in some way. Mm-hmm. Then I'm going to have a trigger and that was not right. based on Right. It was just later childhood. on in exactly. life. So what about this? Does every tri- trigger go back to some previous experience? By by definition. By, by definition. Yeah. Okay. Got it. Either previous experience or unconscious experience, meaning we could have been raised in a, such a way that the energy we felt in our homes, the, um, the things that we witnessed or experienced or filtered through our brain created a way of seeing and experiencing the world. So someone may say, like, for example, there's a lot of people who right now, this is a good one, who walk around feeling very unsafe. Yeah. And they think they're unsafe or that, you know, something's going to happen to them or, and maybe nothing has ever happened to them, but the messaging they got when they were young Mm -hmm. was the world is not safe. Yeah. So there's not a specific trauma, but there's like trauma by paper cut. You know what I mean? Where they were given enough of this information over and over again, like little cuts, little cuts, little cuts, that it became a trauma. Well, yeah. And it's funny. Most of the trauma are from little cuts. Often. Yes. Yes. So enter the tournament of bad, because I want to kind of play with this idea of triggers with my own tournament of bad. Um, But first. Tournament of bad. Tournament of bad. Terminant of Bad. So for those of you guys who haven't heard our show and us talk about Terminant of Bad, there's just little annoyances that bother us in a day-to-day life. Mm -hmm. So here's some things that I've been wanting to share in my Terminant of Bad that just haven't gotten around to. Okay. I have a friend. His name's Dean. Uh Uh-huh. And he always says that, uh, like, I'll invite him somewhere, and he'll either say, who's going, or that he'll probably be there. It drives me nuts. So the reason it drives me nuts, I think, and I love Dean. I've known him for about most of my life. Yes, he's a wonderful guy. 
um, when he asks me who's going, it tells me that Todd, you're not you're enough. Not enough. Exactly. But if there's enough people going, and yes. I don't even I think he says it now just to mess with me. Yeah, because you've told him. But yeah. for a while, he just did it. He's like, "Who's going?" Yeah. Like he wants to know who's going. Yeah. Maybe he, maybe it wasn't. Uh, he wasn't trying to research whether or not he was going to go or not. He just simply wanted to know before he showed Could up. Be. But let's just say, for instance, he was only showing up if the cool people were there. Right. That drives me nuts. Or if he says this is kind of similar but different. He'll probably be there. Right. I either want you to either say you're going or you're not going, but for people who probably or maybe do anything, mm-hmm. drives me nuts. Okay. Is that a trigger? Um, I think it, it, there's a lot of things. M- most people could care less if somebody no, will probably think, be there. I think your feeling is common, more common than you think, because there's two parts of it. Number one, we're trying to dissect Dean, but really the it doesn't matter what Dean's intention is, as you always say, it's how it lands. Yeah. So the way that his messaging lands on you is that you are not enough right. and that he needs to know who else will be there, even if that's not what he intends. And then the second thing is, is you are one of those people who has dedicated your life to showing up on time yes. and being fully responsible yes. to your own detriment. Yes. You have put other people first. So when other people put and I'm not saying he's putting himself first always in the healthiest way, but when he's like, I'm going to decide when the time comes and worry less about what you think and worry more about what I think, it rubs you the wrong way because you- Do not give myself permission. And you you have sacrificed your whole life. You have driven- on the shoulder to get somewhere on time. You have, you know, yeah, given I don't up time be late. with me or your daughters to get to a meeting that does you don't even really need to be at. And my childhood memory might be, I don't even know, because I was older. I think the younger you are with the memories, the more yeah. impactful they are. But me when too. I was 16 years old, I worked at Dominic's, which is a grocery store, and it was my very first day. And on that first day in the morning, I worked in the afternoon. In the morning, we went to a water park in Rockford, Illinois. And mm-hmm. I said, Dad, just so you know, my first day is at five o'clock and I just just make sure I get back. Right. I was, maybe I was 15, I don't know. Sure enough, I was an hour and a half late for my very first day of work. And your dad didn't even drive you back. No, my uncle did. <laughs> so my he dad's like, you guys water go ahead. Park. Thanks a lot, pops. So that, that could have something sure. to do with it, right? You learned by walking in and having to experience that discomfort of being late and a boss looking at you and thinking you were to blame yeah. when you really had your hands tied. This yeah. was a parental decision. Yeah. You had no power. You were powerless. Yeah. And yet you had to absorb the negativity of that experience. Right. And that that's a major cut. Yeah. And it taught you, I never want to feel that again. Yeah. See, and this is so you, Todd, right? How do I never, never feel, feel that again? again? Yeah, we talked about this on the show about a month ago when you and I were in a... In an argument. Heated yeah. discussion. Discussion. And yeah. I was just trying to troubleshoot how I would never put us in a position of having to have another experience like this again. And it wasn't even that big of a thing. No, it so. was. And I and my comment was, oh, I think we'll probably have this. Discussion. And not because I'm going to go after you. But I don't. In a relationship, in a relationship that happens. This happens. Yeah. How can we predict? So here's my second trigger. Okay. Um, recently, I was at a mall and they now have these things at the mall. They have these little animal um, ride along things. Give me more. It's a, it's a huge stuffed animal, okay. but it's big enough to where you can ride on it. Okay. So it's like a, it's like a grocery, a motorized grocery cart, but it looks like an animal. Do they have to use their feet no, or it's motor? They oh, just motorized. Motorized. Okay. Yeah. Um, I say to myself, kids should not be on motorized vehicles <laughs> who have two working legs right. going through a mall. Right. Use the legs that God gave you. And don't use same as like those motorized carts that you know plenty of kids have on our street or well all that. that's I was gonna say that is one thing that Todd and I together made a decision to not get our kids any of the little cars yeah. that drive around because we're like if they're outside yeah the I last want thing we wanted them. them is a car so is that a tr- like because most people don't care about a silly motorized animal cart in a mall, but it really, it's not like I lose sleep over it, but it drives me nuts. Well, how about instead of that, it's, we could call it a trigger, but I feel like this one is a more gentler, like it goes against your value system. And your value system is when kids are outside, they should be moving around. And your value system is based on what you like to do. Yes. So that's the shadow part is not believing that someone who is driving in a little car is somehow not worth as much as you. Well, and I'm not blaming the kids either. I'm right. always blaming the parents. Right. Oh man, I judge parents <laughs> all the time. 
And I judge myself all, all the, the time. time. Yeah. So it's, well, and that's the connection right there, Todd. Right. Is the more we are judging other people, the more internal judgment is going on. Oh, yeah. Oh, I, I hold myself up to ridiculously ridiculous high regard. Standards. and. If I make a mistake, like you, not just high regard, because you're not like patting yourself on the back. No, you hold yourself up standards, to standards, higher yes. standards. Yeah, mm-hmm. not regard, high standards. And I it, had a little bit of that this weekend with you my sure dad. Did. You sure did, and but you handled it beautifully. Yeah, thanks. I mean, and that is helpful to me because when you see, and again, we can talk about that later. Yeah, maybe that's say, because we can open that up to a half hour yeah, discussion. Yeah, that's that's too much. But basically, a lot of it is. It's not so much about the words, about trigger, pain body, values. It's about can you see, can you take a wider perspective and recognize where you start and end and where other people start and end. And there's a blending and a crossing over. But can you recognize that you are bringing your crap, for a lack of better way to say it, to the situation? And the crap doesn't mean it's not valuable. It just means it's not fully sorted through. So, yeah, this actually does fit in real well with the first half of the podcast. Unconscious bias, judgment, triggers, shadow. And what I want to do is um, invite you know, the listeners, you know, keep your shadow in front of you. And the way to do that is to think like, what are some of your triggers or shit? Like, what are some things that drive you nuts, whether it's with your kids or your work or your job or your husband? And if you can kind of start doing some self-exploration, which is something you do a lot. Mm -hmm. And I try my best to do as much as I can. It's very difficult for me to think of anything or come up with anything without seeing it from every different angle. And this is a blessing and a curse. Because as a writer, it's very challenging for me to write and have a sentence and have conviction about my language because I recognize how it may not be true for all. And so then I start to question, how can I say this so it's all inclusive? And this really starts to limit my ability to write. um, Because I... You know, some people just have conviction. This is the way it is. This is the way I see it. I don't live that way. So I'm constantly thinking, how is this going to be received by everybody? And not like a people pleasing how it will be received, but how can I take into my understanding that someone who is less privileged wouldn't experience this or someone who, you know, lives on the other side of the world, this isn't an issue for them. Or it's very difficult to be all inclusive. And that's not just about being PC. It's about being empathetic and compassionate toward everyone's experience. Well, that's your foundational values. Right. And it's not as strong in me. So I think I have a tendency to, well, if they don't like it, they'll turn it off. So let's bring that back to the beginning of the show, gender. Mm. This could be just who we are out of- Yeah, it could be without- Without without gender. Right. But it does fit that statistic of you were taught to have an opinion, say what you want, spit out the lemonade. And I was taught to notice everybody else and recognize how you are- how they are feeling in your presence. Yeah. And if they are not feeling good, if it be someone you're on a date with or a girlfriend, your job is to not have conviction. It's to make them feel better. Well, and this podcast is a perfect example. Like you are sometimes um, challenging me with certain words I use. We Correct. talked about it earlier. I yeah. call them nut, you know, call them nuts or whatever. And you're like, let's soften that language let's up. Let's not call people crazy. And I'm always like, if they don't want to listen to the show, they can just turn it off. But you're trying to be inclusive and make sure that people may get triggered by me using the wrong word and it could, you know, spark something that's probably not the healthiest thing. And is it necessary? Like that's kind of always my question is you can say that another way and get your message across. I know, but I like to take, uh, yes, but, but I'm lazy and I like to take shortcuts and I like to use regular language that people can connect to, but some people may be upset by and- uh, The word crazy for people who oh, struggle, you know Yeah, this. mental illness. Mental illness, it can be a very triggering right. word and it can be, it, you know, and again, just because this is important part of this, you know how people talk about trigger warnings on blogs and on shows and stuff like that. Do you know what trigger warnings are? No. Oh, if a lot of times you'll read a blog or you'll see a video maybe posted on social media and it'll say trigger warning. And basically what that means is this has content oh. that may enact your like some, pain body. We did something about sexual assault or Correct. whatever and Sean mentioned something. So why this is important is because not every, you don't have to do trigger warnings. I'm not one of those people who's like, you have to do it all the time. But there are people who 
choose to do it. And there are people who appreciate it. And it's interesting because this year, the University of Chicago, and we're from Chicago, so I was kind of following the story. They actually sent a letter to all their incoming freshmen and said, um, just so you know, we believe in, in, and I like this message, we believe in that academics are to learn different viewpoints and to see things from different ways. And they said, so therefore, we don't believe in trigger warnings. Now, that was a misperception of what a trigger warning is. Mm -hmm. They thought trigger warning meant you get to take a pass. Mm -hmm. They thought it meant, oh, I don't want to see this or believe in this, so therefore I'm not going to look at it. What a trigger warning is, is be prepared that this is what's being shown. And if you are dealing with a trauma, if you are dealing with a mental illness that can be easily exacerbated, you know, can can cause a, a problem um, with certain memories or experiences, that be warned that this could be that trigger. Right. It's not you get to not be part of the conversation anymore. We have to have a respect for people's inner experience. Right. We're very surfacy. Right, and we can keep going with this, but I would say, like, if if I have to be concerned over every single person's experience of something I say, I would never say anything. Well, but here's let me give you an example of how how I used it. Okay, last year when um, I was teaching, talking about sexual assault in my classroom at at Dominican, and uh, the hunting ground came out in the video that Lady Gaga and Diane Mm. Warren did, which was really graphic and actually shows three women being sexually assaulted. Like they they don't hold back in this video. So before I played it. I said to my class, sexual assault is shown in this video. If there's anybody that would like to not see it or put their head down, you have full permission. Nobody did that. Yeah, but But I have a respect for their experience. For sure. But that's all. That's the only time I did a trigger warning last year because I'm not showing a lot of graphic material. So we just can't let the pendulum go so far that we get so over, you know, hyper about it, hyper aware. All right. You ready for a question? Yes. My three-year-old daughter has been playing dress up in princesses. She's recently been asking me, am I beautiful? It's a loaded question, I feel, but I have been telling her that if people are lucky, they have people in their lives who know they're beautiful no matter what they look like. And and, And that I'm one of those people for her. The other day, however, I heard her say that some princesses aren't beautiful. Now, the comment was innocent enough, but it gave me pause. And I don't want to spin out when I think about what's culturally fed to our young kids regarding gender and superficial expectations. I do plan to have those conversations with her, but I didn't expect to have them so soon. How do you start the discussion with a three-year-old about not judging people by their appearances and that girls don't have to look a certain way in order to be beautiful? I'm unsure as how to keep it simple. Thanks. Well, the first thing I would say is what she just said is, I can't believe I'm having this this soon. Have it when they're one. Like there's no, it's never too early. And it's not an innocence taking thing. It's a keeping of innocence. It's having them understand beauty on a different level. Mm. So you don't need to be afraid that it's starting early or think that your kid is, you know, somehow so biased and that society's already got a hold of her or him. Like these conversations can start super early. And when when a child comes in and says, um, you know, am I beautiful? We have to keep it innocent where they are. Meaning the first thing I thought of is because my daughters have come in many times and said, do I look pretty or does this look good? And sometimes we're just like real basic, like, oh, you know, you always say cute. Cute. Oh, that's what I say to everything. (laughs) Yeah, right. And that's the thing is they they know we've had enough deep discussions that they can tolerate that. But um, say, do I look beautiful? Say, let me tell you all the ways. Mm -hmm. What you said this morning was beautiful. Mm -hmm. You know, this, you picked out this shirt. So I know that this is what's beautiful to your heart. Your toes are beautiful. Your decision-making. So you're not trying to be, you don't have to go into teacher mode and be like, let me tell you what beautiful means. Just give her many examples of beauty. When she says, am I beautiful? Don't just focus on the outside. Because many of us parents will very innocently uh, react and say, of course you're beautiful. And I remember Shafali, and I don't remember where I heard her say this, but uh, her daughter said something like that. And Shafali said, I refuse to have a conversation about somebody's value based on their appearances. So she never even, she just kind of cut it off. Well, and, and I think of healthy way, but yeah, yeah, I think that there is a very strong point in there too. But I also think Maya was a little older. Yeah. And she, you yeah, know, we're talking about, we're talking about a little girl. And so. What because what Shivali was talking with her daughter is we've gone through this mm-hmm. and I refuse to still focus on this external. But when they're little, 
it is you are the door has opened when she comes to you and says, "Am I beautiful?" The door for teaching is open, not teaching through lecture, but through what am I going to say? Yeah. And what you're going to say is your heart is beautiful. Mm. The way you treated your brother this morning was beautiful. The way that you walk in the room with confidence is beautiful. And yes, they, I see your beauty. So the message she's getting is it's not just about my external. My mom sees beauty and now therefore I am learning right. what beauty is on all these different levels. As far as the princesses, that is not her fault. That is completely societally fed because that's the images she sees on every magazine. It's the images she sees on TV, on all of her shows on Disney. So she is rating beauty based on what she's seeing. It is worthy of a discussion, though, yeah. because it's the same connection of, you know, oh, you know, what do you mean they're not beautiful? Well, you know, she doesn't look like her. Or I think Sleeping Beauty is the most beautiful. Well, that is so interesting because when we watch Mulan, what we found so beautiful about her was blah, blah. You're redefining that word for right. them, you know, or, you know, and I don't know who she finds beautiful and who she doesn't, but I have a, I have a pretty good guess of mm -hmm. who she's thinking. Right. Um, it's that very like Barbie-esque person that we think of. And so what we shouldn't do though is, is have the pendulum go so far where we say things like, this is the unconscious bias thing. I don't see beauty or that's not really beauty or, or I don't really think that person's beautiful because that's not true. Right. There are people in the world... I don't know who to use, Angelina Jolie, Brad Pitt, who are just symmetrically beautiful people. Yeah. And what that means is their face was created in such a way that symmetrically it's perfect on both sides, perfect meaning it matches, yeah. and therefore it gives them a physical aesthetic beauty. We don't have to deny that, right. but we have to broaden what beautiful means. Right. A lot of times we go too far and say, yeah. well, that's not what beauty is. And then kids are confused, like, well, wait a second. Right. It's okay to notice physical beauty, right. but we can't make that the ultimate. We have to have a bigger definition of well, it. Well, and if nothing else is, you know, as it comes to everything we talk about this podcast, which is how are you modeling it? Correct. You know, are you, are you loving yourself even though that, you know, as you get older, things start to look a little bit differently? as Absolutely. men and women grow up. so And that's the, that's the most important point of this, which I think we've hammered this on a lot of shows. But if you are teaching your daughter, if you're going to have that cool conversation with her about, I see your heart, I, I hear your voice, and, and all these things are beautiful. But then later that night, you're going to talk about your thighs and how you're on a diet and how you hate your hair. The message she's hearing is that yeah, one. Yeah, forget it. Yeah. You've lost it. You've lost her. Because she loves you so much. And if she loves you and you find yourself atrocious or ugly or not good enough, then who is she? The best predictor of a child's well-being. Is a parent's self-understanding. Um, so quick plugs for what I'm doing. I have a men's adventure retreat coming up on January 20th through the 22nd. If there's any men out there that want to come into the Chicagoland area for a weekend of Un, of disconnecting from your cell phone and connecting with nature and a bunch of other men through authentic conversations and things like that, uh, go to the tribemensgroup.com. And then I also have my tribe, uh, uh, Todd Adams coaching business for men, coaching for guys. So that's my other plug. You did your Norwegian thing. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I kind of choked. Any Norwegian listeners out there? How come that when, when they say yes, they inhale. Yeah. <laughs> my my grandma Inga did that. My oldest daughter is named after Inga. But then I went to Norway when I was 23 or four, and then I realized all of them inhale and say yeah at the same time. It's weird. It's a, it's a speech. It's linguistics. I don't get it. Um, Avid Company, painting and remodeling throughout the Chicagoland area, 630-956-1800, avidco.net. Thank you, Jeremy. You're a bald-headed beauty, and you're a wonderful man Jeremy and is a wonderful man. Do you know mm -hmm. he helped my parents, and they live far away, and he still helped my parents with their home? He's and all heart. I know. He literally is. They should name it, instead of Avidco, they should name it All Heart Painting and Remodeling. <laughs> I'm sure you're welcome, Jeremy. Yeah. Um, and I think that's all I got. You got any words of wisdom? Keep your shadow in front of you. Be conscious. It doesn't make you a bad person that you have judgment. We all have judgment. Our brains judge naturally. That's how they're built. But our brain is not us. Us is our spirit, our soul, our um, our way, our essence, whatever language you want. That's who we are. But we need to be conscious of those shortcuts that our brain takes. Uh, real quick, iTunes reviews. We're going to restart the music. <laughs> that was just such a lovely like send-off when you cut me Beyond out. Spectacular by K8WA from Australia. Hey, she probably knows Sia. 
Uh, don't let the title of this podcast fool you. You absolutely do not need to be a parent to gain incredible benefits from listening. And she goes on to say how great we are. So thank you, Beyond Spectacular. And then List Lover calls it life-changing and she gave us five stars. Seriously, I've learned so much from these podcasts. Give them a give them a try. I highly recommend. Thanks for every single podcast, ZPR. You know, since they said that, and you can put the music on again if you want. Okay. I can, um, Todd and I have been putting together a mission statement um, and kind of figuring out not figuring out, we already know, but trying to put language to what Zen Parenting Inc. Incorporated, our business is. And we will have a wonderful way of describing this show and what we are um, hoping to do in our work and connect in connection with other people. So I think that mission statement's coming next week. Wait, I can't... Because it's not just about parenting. No, never, At all. Never. Parenting is just a piece of the puzzle. Parenting's the hook. It's a smokescreen. That's how we get you to listen. It's all about you. It's about you. Um, I was trying to find out how many um, iTunes reviews we have, but we're close to 300. So help us out. See you guys next week. Have a good week. Bye. Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening. We appreciate it, and we hope you'll join us next time. If you're a fan of Zen Parenting Radio, consider leaving us a review on iTunes. This helps people find us. You can also just tell a friend about our show. That's our favorite kind of marketing. Todd and I do speaking engagements about Zen parenting and self-awareness, so if you have an interested group or organization, contact us at comments at zenparentingradio.com. And get your early bird tickets for our big Let's Get Real Zen Parenting Conference February 24th and 25th at the Westin in Lombard. Todd and I will be speaking Friday night, and we have Rob Bell, Rosalind Wiseman, and Ali Smith as our keynotes on Saturday. If you want to know more about self-awareness or conscious parenting, pick up one of Kathy's award-winning books at zenparentingradio.com or Amazon. If you're a guy, I have two resources for you. I coach guys. It's called Coaching for Guys. <laughs> On the phone, Skype, or in person, we set goals together and come up with a plan to meet those goals. The website is toddadamscoaching.com. And we also have a monthly men's group. So if you're looking for a group of men to have authentic conversations with, check out the tribemensgroup.com. If you ever shop on Amazon, you can help us out by first going through the Amazon link on our homepage. It doesn't cost anything to you, but we get a small commission from Amazon. If you want an amazing vehicle to teach your kids about money management, go to the lower right-hand side of our homepage and click on the FAMZOO logo and enter Zen Finance as a promo code. I want to give a special thanks to our three partners, Tree of Life Chiropractic Care, John J. Kelly Dentistry, and Avid Painting and Remodeling. Thanks for your love and support. Keep on trucking.